Hi, I'm Mike David, and my thoughts and opinions are my own, and not a representation of the Movie Rose community, its sponsors, or its brands. Guess who's Bizak? Thank you so much for still downloading the show. I'm your host, Mike David, and this is The Commando. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to episode four of The Commando. I'm your host, Mike David. As always, wherever you're watching this at, wherever you're listening to this at, please press subscribe and like and rate. We're trying to make this show very, very unforgettable. Now, if this is your first time listening to The Commando, this would definitely be your first time watching The Commando. Um, the Commando was the ultimate fan expressing mostly opinionated facts or fact-based opinions. However you want to digest that, most of the stuff I speak on is based off facts. Unless it's some favoritism, favoritism or some opinion, you know, so, something that I'm a little too close to my heart. But to get into it, like, you know, to, to talk about favoritism, the Islam versus Oliveira, like we knew what was going to happen in that match. But I wanted Oliveira to win out of favoritism. Is that wrong? <laughs> Is that wrong? No, it's not. Let's move on. Now, as we open up this inner, open up this episode, I like to go over some talking points just to kind of get in the flow of the episode, switch up the tempo of the episode, and to do that, we're going to talk about a situation that's been looming large, a person that has been looming large, not only over social media. Um, some of our family conversations. But as far as music, Apple Music is concerned and Spotify, like whatever, wherever you listen to your music at, Kanye West, in some shape or form, whether you listen to his music or not, has been on your mind. Now, this is not a whole segment all. This is not a whole segment on Kanye West, but I just want to do a brief intro about what is going on in just the world in general. And as on most shows, I like to open up with a current event, open up with some current events. I'm not going to speak on everything that's going on in this world because there's a lot of, there is a lot of craziness going on in this world. There's a lot of opinions that are not rooted in facts going on in this world. Now, before we get on, uh, before I go on a tangent, a, 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 a unplanned tangent. Let, let, let's, let's go through this episode and, and I'm going to try to keep you guys for maybe an hour, maybe less. Hopefully a very entertaining hour. But let's get into Kanye. Now this Kanye craze. The current blackballing that's going on with Kanye West. I have nothing to say about. Except for Kanye West kind of asked for this. He kind of asked to be back blackballed. I mean, or he kind of understood by what he, he says he could be blackballed. And he has been blackballed before. This is anything new. But 
at the magnitude it currently sits at as far as who he's being blackballed by, it has to ring significant for his bank account and anybody who works with him. 100%. Now, I'm going to break this down slowly because I am not bashing on Kanye West. I am... I was never really much of a Kanye West fan, but as far as music goes, I, you gotta you gotta say the dude's a fucking genius. Like that's you can <laughs> me and Debo, me and my homeboy Debo. You're gonna hear about a lot of Debo on this show. Uh, we had a debate about what a genius is and going over the definition. And if you go over the definition of what a genius is, um, it's basically the persistence of an individual. A pers- the persistence of an individual, abnormally, um, that obviously chose to take it where no one else chose to take something or do something or blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, I, I will quote, I am quoted now and I will forever say this, no matter, regardless of what he says, no, no, regardless of what he thinks as a human, but Kanye West is a genius. Now you can measure that, you can put it in whatever box you want to. He's a genius. He has done several things no one has ever done has ever done before. And what he's saying, regardless of what you think about him, it's it's rooted in his belief, right? Now, I'm actually getting into it this time. I'm actually getting like I have a structure here. I'm actually getting into the structure now. Daniel Tosh has a joke about how he grew up idolizing black athletes and just black people in general, black males, black, you know, just athletic individuals. And I'm pretty sure comedians as well. And he has a joke about how white people were so smart to not only enslave black people, but to enslave black people with the understanding that the slave may revolt at any moment. Like the slave, no matter what size he is, how big he is, how the understanding of a slave owner or anybody, even a dog owner. And I'm not, I'm not trying to equate slaves to dogs, but when you have dominion over something or you've put yourself in a position to have dominion over something, you have to understand the facts based around that control. Now, I don't want to dive too much into this. I'm already diving too much into it already, but I want you to go listen to that Daniel Tosh joke and then go revisit the statement that Kanye West made about slavery being a choice. And I'll do my best to plug in the, uh, the Daniel Tosh joke in the links now after adding you know this little small discussion into that whole Kanye West bubble of of about slavery I'll say this again and I'll keep it I'll keep the rest of this short I don't know much about Kanye West West's situation or yay whatever the fuck you want to call him It seems like most people look at Kanye as a public figure and an artist first and not 
or should I say, as a black male, as a black human male, last. Now, we as a society, we have a problem with accepting what someone says. We, we have a problem with accepting provocative statements without portraying the person that said them as crazy. I think as a society, we should be in a, in a place, regardless of what a person says, unless it's just balls to the wall fucking crazy, or it's hate speech, or you're talking about crime, we should be able to give an individual enough respect to even to, to, to start to break down what the person is saying. It seems like we hear information nowadays that may be too much for our comfort bubble, and we just refuse to break it down, and we just discount it. It's, it's, it's immediately, oh, he's crazy. Oh, immediately, it's this, it's that. Instead of actually processing the information and see if it in some way or shape or form can make sense to you. Like everybody doesn't have to have the same mind. And Kanye West being in the position he's in, positions he has been in, being around the people he's been around, who else can think from that mind state of Kanye West? Now, this actually speaks for anybody who wants to speak out about their current situation. But the way I understand it is, Kanye West is having baby mama drama issues. And we've all had baby mama drama in our life. No matter if you have a baby mama or not, you've had some way, shape, or form, your life has been affected by someone's BM, if not your own. And I'll get into the, the baby daddies too. It's either way, either way. You've either dated someone who had a, a BM or a baby daddy, had kids. It's a nasty situation. And when you use your kids as a weapon in a relationship, things seem to get unpredictably dangerous. That's what I'm seeing from this whole con that's what I'm seeing from this whole Kanye West thing. I know it's a whole nother tier of things that he's doing with his time and his money and um, his mind. But this is what I, I believe this is all stems from. And that's all I care to talk about Kanye West at the moment. Right? I don't want to kick a man while he's grounded. That's a little MMA jokey joke. I apologize. But moving on, because this ain't the motherfucking Kanye show. This is the commando, and we talk about MMA here. Not yet, though. Actually, yeah, yes, we're going to go into some MMA, but that's it for, for that topic. Now, TJ Dillashaw, that, let's, let's, uh, actually, I'm going to back that up, because I, I already messed it up. I already messed it up. I was going to talk about Lethal Weapon and fucking how he went into his match with a... Uh, uh, Missing a lethal weapon or one lethal, lethal weapon. Anyways, it was semi-corny. But Martin Riggs, a.k.a. TJ Dillashaw, thought he can go into a title fight with one of the baddest bantamweights 
on planet Earth, one of the baddest bantamweights in UFC history. All that's fact. No matter how you feel about Aljamain Sterling, you can remove the DQ win against Jan. You can even take away this ass whooping he put on TJ Dillashaw. And if you take those two stains off his record, he still has a murderer's row under his belt. What he did to Sanhagen was ridiculous. Now, let me get into this whole thing before I start jumping around again. If TJ Dillashaw knew about this injury months ago, now there's oh, there's so much here, and I'm kind of getting kind of getting flustered already because just thinking about all this shit I had thought about, it's very disappointing when Aljo, being who he is, and I've never been an Aljo fan. Mind you, I respect Alja. I, I respect Aljamain Sterling from here to the moon. He is elite. He may do some corny shit every now and then, but he's elite. He's about his business. And being coached by Ray Longo, how many, how many champions does Ray Longo have under his belt in, in his lifetime? And to still, in, a, in this current generation of UFC, be still putting out these dominant ass champions because he goes in with a game plan and he, he puts the shit down. Now to think that, mind you, going back, it's a, it's a shit sandwich. I'm not a TJ, I'm not an Al Jermaine fan. Respectable. Mind you, him going into this fight with TJ Dillashaw, I am a TJ Dillashaw fan. So, and I've been a TJ Dillashaw fan before the debacle, before him and the EPOs and whatnot. Came back, beat Sanhagen, one leg down. Impressive. Now, I, I thought it was a close fight, like most people did. The judges gave it to him. They're much more educated than I am. He gets the nod. Goes through a five-round fight with someone as damaging as Corey Sanhagen, and he still wins. Now, I am a, like I said, a TJ Dillashaw fan. I did not buy this fight, 280, for Aljamain Sterling. One of the reasons I bought 280 was for TJ Dillashaw along with Charles Oliveira, but it was for TJ Dillashaw. Not because I wanted to see TJ Dillashaw win, because I thought he was one of the best matches or matchups for Aljamain Sterling. That's why I bought the pay-per-view. If you were to tell me or to tell betters or to tell anybody outside of TJ's team that he was going in a wing down, and we're going to come back to that, you're going into a title fight, a wing down. So much so that you're not even sparring in the back. You're not even warming up. 
You're not warming up for a title fight? Because you're that afraid of your arm popping out of its socket? That's very confusing. Now, to hear commentators, um, Anik and I think Felder, and then to hear that Goddard knew before the bout even started. Now, I, and I don't put this on Goddard at all, because if you don't see the injury before the fight, if you don't see the injury until it actually happens during the match, that's, that's not for you to... Obviously, at that point, it's at your discretion. But you've been warned. You kind of know, oh, okay, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to immediately panic when this arm pops out. I'm going to give him a chance. And he gave him a chance. And I want to be, I, 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 okay, they're, they're, I'm hopping around so much because I'm so like, I'm still so hype off this. I know people are like, why are you so, why is it affecting you so much? Because I paid hard-earned money to see a competitive match against, again, one of the baddest bantamweights. Let's rewind this. One of two of the baddest bantamweights in history. It didn't happen. Now the fight didn't last long. If you've seen it, it probably shouldn't have gone to the second round. But immediately after. Dillashaw throws the leg kick, which is caught by Algermain, and Dillashaw's taken to the ground. Arm pops out immediately. Dude goes to the post, arm pops out immediately. Now, I don't know if I saw the grimace on his face before the commentators did. It was maybe it was not, maybe it was it happened just at the same time. But to see the pain on TJ Dillashaw's face. I don't know if it was more so the pain from the arm or more so the pain from him, him believing that he had to finish these five rounds with that arm. Now, I know that's, that's layered in its understanding, but just think. This man went into the fight knowing his arm was fucked up. Of course, he, he had to think that he can win that match. Now, with all the social media stuff going on and, you know, people saying fraud and this and that, I have to honestly think, and I don't, you know, again, I'm not going to bash TJ Dillashaw. Even what he's done, it's done. I will say, this is the second time I believe he's fucked the UFC. Fuck the fans, the, the, you know, I don't know what happens to bets once they get once a fight gets overturned for EPO, I don't, I don't know how that goes, especially for whatever fights got overturned or him giving up the title. I don't know how that, go- that goes. But this has to be the second time that we know of as fans where it's more so a, I'm going to do what I need to do in this situation. And if he needed the money for the surgery because he knew the surgery he needed, needed was career-ending, because he knew... If he needed the surgery, not only would he be out, he would be out too long and not be able to make, I guess, a, that, that significant amount of income off of one fight. Now, whatever other ventures he has, and he has spoken about it before, about him having businesses, 
I don't know if any of these businesses are paying him a singular check as big as the one he receives fighting. And this is going to pretty much wrap up my tangent about it. But my whole thing is I paid to see a fight. Now, if you got injured in the fight, so be it. But you bring an, an, bringing an injury into a championship fight is fucking crazy. And I almost want to think about if Aspinall did the same thing against Curtis Blades. But that's a whole nother tangent. Moving on. Now, this one's fun. I actually like doing the research for this one. But here we go. Now, if you're familiar with UFC, you're familiar with Paula Costa. If you're familiar with Israel Adesanya, you're familiar with Paula Costa. The memes, the various social media cameos, Liver King. I don't know if he has one with Hasbulla. The Secret Juice. Paula Costa is on fire. I want to say some shit like, corny. Paula Costa is a Brazilian man on fire. Is that racist? I don't think so. I'm South American, so I can say that. Anyways. Now, the whole thing about Paula Costa that I want to talk about here is I don't think he's re-signing with the UFC. And I think what he's doing on the social media front, what he's, um, I guess this new media, this management team has got him to maybe smarten up and look towards life after the UFC. And if so, he's done it. Like he's built whatever, I believe, he's built whatever he's need to build outside of the UFC to remain relevant. Not only relevant as far as social media is concerned, but remain relevant as far as pay is concerned. Now, if the UFC does seem to part ways with Boachinia, there may be some very lucrative deals in his future. One of the biggest and the ones that make the most sense to me, it's not Bellator, it's not PFL. If Paula Costas is, is really being managed correctly, and again, I don't, I'm not, I don't even know if this is an option, but you can't tell me he's not in talks with the WWF. Excuse me? I'm old. The WWE. You can't tell me he's not. Or some wrestling organization. You know how hot Paula Costa would be in the WWE? Now, win, lose, or draw, to believe and understand this may be his, his next fight, may be his last fight in the UFC, because you've heard of fighters getting extensions or new contracts, you know, their second to last fight, their third to last fight. Paula Costa has one more fight left, is very 
at this point. He, he's he's definitely a mainstay in my eyes. He's a mainstay in the UFC. I, I don't I don't think it hurts the UFC if they let him go. But it's a definite It's a definite win for whatever organization does pick up Paula Costa. It's a win for the organization. It's a win for Paula Costa. And if anything, it's, it's still a win for the UFC because you get the rumblings of ex-UFC fighter. I, I'm pretty sure wherever Paula Costa goes next, he will carry that moniker for a long time. Ex-UFC fighter. Now, in this lead up to uh, doing the research for this whole Paula Costa bit, I found out that badass Billy Gunn is still an active wrestler. If you don't know who badass Billy Gunn is, I mean, I think he's been active since the early 90s or the 80s, which is crazy. The dude's skin looks like, um, I don't know, tempered leather. Not to be a dick, but the dude looks old. I, I know there's a lot of old dudes on the WWE and that AEX, uh, AXE roster. Like, man, that's, that's, that's it about wrestling. Uh, I'm not going to talk about wrestling again for a long time. I mean, unless Paula Costa signs to the WWE. <laughs> but that's it for wrestling. That's it. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, if you haven't noticed already, um, depending on how you found us, if you're returning, if you found us on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, that's going to be our main focus for now. Um, please understand we have a new format. We have a new short format, new show format. We also have, speaking about the Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, we have a show companion. What is a show companion? A show companion basically is a breakdown of some of the fighters we'll be speaking about, some of the nodal fighters we'll be speaking about, and something that I want to introduce to my episodes called Fighter Cards, where we actually take a look at certain fighters throughout the MMA community, um, mostly UFC for now, and we kind of do a little deep dive, a little backstory on some of the people that I think stick out. And I believe that's going to do something with the career within the next couple of fights or shit that I've seen very spectacular within the last couple of fights. And those are our fighter cards. Format for the show. Um, obviously, you'll see as we go through and break down things. But the main thing that I focus on, since there is so much combat sport shit going on weekly, um, bi-weekly between boxing, between one championship, between um, PFL, UFC. I know I'm missing some, but it, it's a lot. It's a lot to consume. So most of the shit that we go over on this show would be noteworthy things, notable things. And whether it's recap, whether it's upcoming, um, 
it's all notable fighters. It's all notable fighters that do something that kind of stick out to me um, or just people that I like. Like, I don't know how else to put it. There's some fighters that I just, I like to see him fight, even though it may be a Russell show. And it may be he's going in there. Nick Maximoff. I, for some reason, I just like to watch Nick Maximoff fight. Now, he was on a losing streak, or he was on a losing streak. He's no longer with the UFC. But there's just certain fighters out there that, hey, whether I'm right or wrong, and Nick's Maximoff, if I would have did a fighter caught on him, I guess I would have been, you know, slightly wrong. But that one hurt me to see. If you don't keep up with the UFC, um, fighter removed, um, tracker, it's... It's, it may be a good thing. Sometimes when I, I see the tracker pop up and I see certain fighters removed, I kind of kind of wrenches my heart. Nick Maximoff kind of kind of hurt a little. Now moving on, moving on to one of the staples of the show. Now, in the future, we may have more than three, but currently we're going to keep one, which is show sponsors. And for the foreseeable future, our show sponsor will be Stadium, a sport odyssey. Now, this is a strategy cardboard game. And if you want to check Stadium out, you can go to Stadium, a sport odyssey.com. Now, showing you real quick what this stadium game is. This is legit. Some of the stuff that you get inside. I know the camera's kind of, but this is a legit board game. Look at the front of that. Look how fucking dope the front of that is. Season one. Now, once you go to Stadium, a sportodyssey.com. If you would like a copy, like to see the reviews, like to check out, check out some of the videos on it, please do so. That is going to be our show sponsor for a while. Shout out to Debo and let's get it. Mind you, this is season one. There's more card packs uh, coming out soon. And G Shit, I can't wait till season two comes out. Let's, let's fuck with the season one, though. Moving on. Now, let's get into some recaps. Now, the first recap we're going to get into... And again, sorry I missed 280. I, I really wanted to do a show for 280. I really wanted to do a show for um, Grosso versus Viviana. Arujo. Didn't get to it. But our recap this week will be Cater versus Allen. Now, not just obviously it's the whole, it's UFC fight night, Cater versus Allen. There's a couple of notables we're going to go through for that card. A couple, let's see couple prelims, couple main events. 
Now, if you've watched the Cater versus Allen, you know how that ended. Um, another main event ending an in injury, which kind of sucks, especially when we speak about that division. That's the second injury, fight ending injury for that top tier of that division. I believe it was Ortega versus Yair. And Yair was transitioning and popped out Ortega's um, shoulder, if I can remember it correctly. But let's get into this week's, or last week's, Cater versus Allen. First, we're going to start off with Chase Hooper versus Steve Garcia. Now... Chase Hooper, I believe, entered this fight as a favorite. And Steve Garcia had been coming off of a loss. And I believe he came down a weight division. Now, I have some notes that we're going to kind of go through to make sure we stay on topic here. We're going to keep this shit simple. (laughs) What do I remember about this fight? I remember several things about Chase Hooper versus Steve Garcia. One of the main things I remember is Chase Hooper really believed in his hands. The other thing I remember is (laughs) Chase Hooper believed in his hands too much. And for some reason, he didn't believe in head movement or lateral movement or getting out of that fucking pocket. Because I believe he got knocked down four times in the first round. That's cr- that is crazy. And Steve Garcia was smart enough to know there's no reason to go to the ground with you. I'm not going to waste my time there. Knocks this da- dude down four times. Now, we spoke about Steve Garcia moving down to featherweight. And if he carried some of that power with him, Chase Hooper definitely felt it. And Chase Hooper actually got some, a couple of good shots in himself. The, the thing about this fight was, if there was just a little more evading from Chase Hooper, if there was just a little bit more um, dynamic striking, He stayed in that pocket too long, and he was basically giving Steve Garcia his face, like chin and everything. Now, my last point about this fight is you can tell that Steve Garcia did not respect Chase Hooper at all, especially his power. Um, When they were exchanging the forward pressure, uh, understanding to stay off the ground with him. Steve Garcia came into that fight to prove, I don't know what to, I don't know who, but he proved a lot to a lot of people, including himself. Back to the drawing board for Chase Hooper on this one. Let's go to the next fight. Next fight we have Andre Arlovsky versus Marcos DeLima. Yeah, I got notes on this fight, but there's, there's literally not that much to talk about. 
Like, I don't even know if I need to. I'm going to look at my notes. <laughs> I don't know if I need to look at my notes. Because it was an easy night for Delima. His power was unmatched um, in Arlovsky. And given the weight difference, even seeing them in the ring, and I, I, it seemed like they even weighed in on two ends of the heavyweight spectrum. I think Orlovsky came in at about 220-something, and Delima was, I think he was up in the 240s, if, if not more. So with time passing, rehydrating, whatever you want to call it, who knows how much Delima actually weighed going into that fight against Orlovsky. Now, I'm an Arlovsky fan. One of the reasons why he's in on, on this list. He used to be a champion. At one of the prime times where I used to watch UFC, Arlovsky was the champion, and he, I fucking loved the Fang mouth guard. That was his, 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 his stick, even though he didn't keep the title too long. He was a very exciting fighter. He has changed. But not enough for Delima. All right, let's go to this next fight. Next fight is Phil Halls versus Roman Delitze. Mind you, I am a fucking fool for middleweight bouts. It's something about middleweight bouts that it, it's a it's just like it's a middleweight car crash. When I see middleweights fight, it's it's a balance between size, power, and speed. For me, I know there's other divisions that knock fools clean out, but the middleweight division to me, it's it's a little bit more realistic because if I was ever a fighter, I would probably fight at Walter or middleweight, 100%. I don't know if I would even, if it would even cross my mind to go down to like lightweight, like that's, you're crazy. I'm not losing that much weight. I mean, I need to, I need to lose a couple pounds now, but 155, you're fucking insane. Moving on to Phil Halls versus, this is my, my little tangents. Moving on to Phil Halls versus Roman Delice. Now, this fight started off pretty respectful. And just to confirm here for a second, because actually seeing them come into that fight pretty delete looked pretty huge for that fight so i just want to confirm that it was a middleweight belt and not a light heavy because phil hall's his body structure even looks like he's a he's a at least 205 that dude for him to cut to 185 from wherever he, he sits at normally he is shredded All right, let's check this out. So it was at middleweight. For some reason, Roman Delice looks like he fills out a little bit more. And I know his last fight against Chris da uh, Kyle Dawkins. God, that last fight against Kyle Dawkins. If you haven't seen Roman Delice versus Kyle Dawkins, go check that out probably after you watch the Phil Halls versus Roman Delice. Now, again, this fight started off pretty equal. Um, a couple of different exchanges. They were going back and forth until Roman Delice 
and he has a pretty nice ground game. I, I believe he is um, predominantly on the ground. But the last couple of fights, he chose to stand up based on what Michael Bisping had said or some shit like that. But in this fight, he gets a, I believe it's a, it's a leg lock. And he twists his ankle. He twists Roman Delice, gets Phil Halls in a leg lock, but is twisting his ankle and knee in a way where Phil Halls is basically stalemating until he finds a better position to retract his leg. Before he can retract his leg, Roman Delice, he can hear it. I don't know if, um, who was the ref in this fight? Anyways, Roman Delite hears it. Obviously, Phil Hall fills it. But Phil Hall, his leg pops. His knee pops. And as he scrambles back to his, he, he pushes away. And Roman Delite kind of lets go because he hears it. And he thinks the match is going to be stopped. Mergliata. Dan Mergliata. That's who, that's who the ref is. And he thinks Mergliata is going to stop it. Which, I, I don't know what the fuck. Mergliata was thinking at the point because when Delite was going in to finish Phil Halls after he stood up, fucking the ref is kind of like he's almost he's almost standing in front of Delite so he couldn't progress, which means shouldn't the <laughs> shouldn't the match be over? Are you literally stopping a fighter from fighting another fighter, giving him time to recover? That that's what I that's what I saw from Mergliata. Now. Uh, obviously it was the first injury or first knee injury of the night, but all that transpired after the knee pops, after Mergliata, blah, blah, blah. And he lets the fight go on. All that turns into a three piece combo from hell. Roma Delice takes his time. He understands that Phil Halls may be compromised, but he understands that this is a dangerous dude standing in front of him so he takes his time what does his time net him him his time nets him one of the nastiest knockouts of phil halls in a long time and he hits phil halls with a three-piece combo now after this fight i would love to see where phil halls shakes out not as far as if he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be released because he's an exciting fighter and he's not on a losing streak. But he is starting to fight the upper echelon of that division and all the up and comers who are coming through him. He's kind of turning into a gatekeeper. At one point, Kyle Dawkins, even though Phil Hall's beat Kyle Dawkins, Kyle Dawkins had even gotten, uh, how, how can I say this? Well, he got Roman Delice. He had Kevin Holland. It seemed like Kyle Dawkins was getting the more dominant fights that were going to push him through that division. Not saying that they didn't get killers. They both got killers on their hands. And they both met Roman Delice. Roman Delice might have broken Kyle Dawkins' face in three places with the nastiest knee knockout that I've seen 
probably all year. And I'm not speaking as far as blood or um, flush knockouts or it was a knockout that you heard and then you felt. And then it (laughs) it makes you question, do I really do I really want to be a fighter? Fuck no. Kyle Dawkins had a metal plate put in his face. I, I never want a metal plate putting my put in my face for me trying to make money, like the, off a occupation where I'm trying to make money. Because guess what? If that metal plate is in my face and I'm still a fighter, what's stopping that metal plate from breaking the rest of the bones in my face once it's hit? I know I'm going on a weird tangent here, but I, I'm just saying. These are the type of things that go through my head watching these injuries, watching these fights, these, these, uh, these career-ending injuries. That's a career-ending injury to me. You break my face, I, I don't know if I want to come back and play. Now, let's see if I have some more notes about Roman Delice. Now, I did have a funny... A little funny shtick about Roman Delice and um, how comfortable Michael Bisping actually is in that octagon. You got to think this is uh, these fighters share tears, blood, spit, sweat. It's all mixed. It's not. It's all mixed up. On their skin, on their, it's all mixed up on their gloves. Like, this is the stuff that it's just what our body secretes. And seeing some of these fighters walk up to the mic with spit on their fucking beard or, you know, their nose is leaking, blood, or there's a snot bubble hanging from their nose. It's, it's in the moment, if you're able to keep enough composure to still hold that interview, that's professionalism. I always think there should be a camera, like a, an assistant cameraman around to be like, hey, you, we got a towel for you. You need to wipe your face. That's something significant that you see every now and then, but other promotions probably don't do. That's a big staple. Being in front of that mic and not having your nose dripping blood, not having spit on your face, not having, you know, it, depending on the fight and where this post-fight interview is going to be aired, you want to look as clean as possible. And I, I just wonder sometimes when Bisping is sitting up there with his clean-ass suit around these sweaty-ass, bloody-ass dudes. Like, don't touch me, bro. <laughs> Seriously. And honestly, I, I, I didn't have a pick in this fight. Um, I know Roman Delice is a killer. I know Phil Halls is a killer. But after Phil Halls, Hall's last fight, like Deron Wynn, I, I think the guy's name is, um, I don't know if I respected that win enough from Phil Halls. Obviously, he won in, in a spectacular fashion. He put the beating on Deron Wynn. But I, I don't, I, I just think that was a bad matchup for Deron. I don't think it was something that should have, like, obviously it's a win, so celebrate it for Phil Halls. But as a fan of the middleweight division, I didn't, I didn't see why that fight 
was why that was a matchup, why that fight even took place. If I'm if I'm being honest, obviously we got some post fight comedy with the you know you picked the wrong pony, which was actually you picked the wrong opponent. But you, you gotta love Phil Halls. Let's see what happens, who he gets next, um, and see who his next test is. And obviously, Roman Delice winning over Phil, Phil Halls. Let's see if Roman Delice gets who he's asked for. He's asked, I believe, top 15 or someone within the top 15. Um, let's see how far within that ladder they go. I, I, at this point, I'm loving Roman Delice. I'm loving his output. I'm loving what he brings to the UFC, period. Moving on. Okay. I believe this is round. This is, this is main event stuff here. We're in the main event now. We're, we're going bottom to top. So we're going to start off with Dustin Jacoby versus Khalil Roundtree. I definitely have to pull up my notes on this one because I'm, I'm high on Khalil Roundtree. And not for, I guess, um, my, my reason for being high on Khalil Roundtree is that he's, he's ever evolving. And it's sometimes he may look like he regresses, but I want to pull up, let's see. There's a fight that he had against Anders. I'll tell you right now. Eric Anders. And I, I, this is his first fight in 2019 against Eric Anders. The story was Khalil Roundtree. And I'm going to get into the fight against him and Dustin Jacoby. But if you haven't seen Khalil Roundtree versus Eric Anders, the story was Khalil Roundtree had just come back from Thailand and he was going to integrate this new style into his fighting. It went to, it did go to unanimous, it went to decision, unanimous decision. It shouldn't have gone to decision, but he, he beat the life out of Eric Anders. The leg chops, I, it could have been, it could have been a, a, a leg, <laughs> leg kick KO. I don't think Eric Anders wanted to go out like that. Brutal fight though. Brutal fight. Now. That, to speak about why I'm high on Khalil Roundtree, that's basically back to when I was high on Khalil Roundtree. He has lost since then. I think he's lost twice since then to Ian Kutalaba and Modestus Bukakis. No, wrong. Marcin Procino. Maybe getting that horribly wrong. But within his last five fights, he's won three. In his last six fights, he's won four. So he's, he's been a little inconsistent lately. And before his Eric Anders win, he lost to Johnny Walker. So I believe he moved from light heavyweight 
to middleweight, and I believe he's back at light heavyweight now. Now, let's get into Justin. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of Dustin Jacoby versus Khalil Roundtree. It was a close fight. It was a very close fight. But the power and the damage goes to Roundtree. Now, I question whether Khalil Roundtree is ready to go five rounds. I don't think so. I think he needs to continue finding a balance between his power strikes and carrying the power over currently three rounds. Because at that end of the third round against Dustin Jacoby, mind you, it was a close fight, and Dustin Jacoby was... He had to be zapping his energy because he was, hit, he was hitting him with some shots. And I believe Dustin Jacoby may have more, sh- more strikes than Khalil Roundtree. But it was the damage that Khalil Roundtree put on Dustin's face. At that end of the fight, Khalil Roundtree looked like Khalil Roundtree. Dustin Jacoby looked like he needed to go to the hospital, and I ho- hopefully he did. Now, when you call it a close fight, and then you have judges sitting ringside, you can only imagine what they're hearing and what they're seeing. And that is the X factor when it comes to people judging fights from the television. Fans judging the fight from fucking up in the rafters. Bottom line, Khalil Roundtree ekes out split decision against Dustin Jacoby my overall question is who is next for Khalil Roundtree because he has been pretty inconsistent and if somebody with enough strength or not strength but uh, enough power enough matching power within that light heavyweight division because he keeps bouncing from middleweight light heavyweight if he decides to stay in that division I wonder what's next for him Now, this is uh, moving on, but we got a, just a special couple of words on this one fight. I, I don't really want to speak too much about it because I, 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 I didn't go in expecting much from this fight. But Frem versus Gore. Let me actually go into the actual fight. Let's talk about the actual fight because I do not, since I, I didn't, I only have notes for <laughs> the spectacular shit that I saw in this fight. Not too much of the fighters themselves. So, Josh Fremd versus Treshawn Gore. This fight ended in the second round when Treshawn Gore put a guillotine on Josh Fremd. Not your regular guillotine. It was a guillotine from hell. Cheshawn had so much pressure on that guillotine that he basically drug Fremd to the floor. I don't even know if drug is the right word. He ragdolled him to the floor. He, He manhandled Josh Frem to the floor by his neck in the guillotine choke, if you understand what I mean. And it was disgusting. 
because the fact that Josh Frem didn't tap quick enough, he was out like a light. And once Gore let go of the guillotine, I mean, shit, Frem could have been knocked out by his head hitting the canvas alone. Now, these are one of those fights that obviously you don't expect much going in, but by the time the fight's over, Jesus, you're like, oh, man, I, I don't know if I wanted to see that shit. <laughs> I used to work in a club. I used to work security at a club. Years. And some nights when dudes would get a little bit too drunk, talk a little bit too much smack, you would say, you know what? I, I want to see them fight. I, I want to see a fight tonight. And every now and then, I would see a fight in real time, you know, a couple feet away from me, and I'll say to myself, I didn't want to see that, because it, it gets a little bit too real. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see that guy's head hit the car uh, hood like that. <laughs> Sometimes you see some shit that's like, oh, man, that's too much. Moving on, it's just a, just a little just a little pin in that fight. Have nothing against Frem or Gore. I actually think I have nothing against Frem or Gore. I actually think Gore might have been on the chopping block that fight, um, and he came out with a a viral finish. Um, I guess I'm not going to speak too much on the Tim Means versus Max Griffin. It was a competitive fight. Uh, I believe Max Griffin dropped Tim Means twice. One in in the first round, one in the second. Um, Pretty pretty competitive fight. Pretty competitive fight. Actually, let's see what I do have on the Tim Means. Do I have more on Tim Means versus Griffin? Yeah, I mean, that was the gist of it. He sat him down twice, and in the third round, it looked like Max Griffin had broken his hand. So he decided to wrestle. Now, I have nothing, I have to state this. I have nothing against Max Griffin or Tim Means. I'm just not a Max Griffin or Tim Means fan. Their last two fights, Tim Means' last fight against Kevin Holland, obviously he lost, was a very entertaining fight. I'm, I'm somewhat of a Kevin Holland fan. But these fights more so show me, like, who's up next? Like, where is Max Griffin going next? Who, who, who are the UFC going to pair him with next? Because he's kind of been floating around for a while, and he hasn't been able to progress up the ladder in the welterweight division. Um, that's pretty much it. Let's get into the last fight, which is Calvin Cater versus Arlen, Arnold Allen. Now, the fight didn't last long. Um, the first round goes how most Calvin Cater first rounds go. I mean, unless he, unless it's a knockout. But Arnold Allen looks durable. Arnold, Arnold Allen looks durable. We know Calvin Cater's durable. 
that's why it really confused me in this fight. Um, what Cater was thinking in that second round. I, I know mistakes happen, but... It, anyways, let's get into the first round. The first round... Arnold did his thing. He came out with a couple flurries. He tried to disrupt Cater's jab. It was successful. But how long, and this was the question I had until the, the knee injury, how long could Arnold Allen keep up those flurries? Could Arnold Allen put together a couple flurries all the way to the end of the fifth round? Or would he at some point maybe TKO'd Calvin Cater? In that first round, you can't really tell if Calvin's jab is getting to Arnold Allen. I mean, in the sense that it's something to worry about. Obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's going to hit his target. But the jab, the double jab, is always, it's, it's always to set up that straight. It's always to set up that, that bomb. And Cater has bombs. We've seen him chip Holloway a couple times. Even though Cater was getting the life beat out of him. I mean, we've seen him knock out individuals with elbows. Let me just take a look at Calvin Cater's career real quick. So he, after the Arnold... Before the Arnold Allen loss, he came off a split decision loss against Josh Emmett, which personally, I see why it was given to Emmett, but I thought Calvin Cater definitely won. He came off that beautiful decision against Giga Chikadze, where Giga was, he was storming through the division. But what did he do to Giga? He fucking crowded him. And he didn't. He, he basically give him, didn't give him an opportunity to throw his vicious body kicks. Now, Cater has a lot of decisions in his career. A lot of decisions in his career. Let's take a look at Arnold Allen's tape real quick. So let's see. Arnold Allen is on a incredible win streak and it's it's a mixed bag you have submissions you have tkos you have decisions you let's see currently undefeated in the ufc calvin cater dan hooker Sadiq Youssef, nick lentz gilbert Melenton, jesus so i know there's a big um there's a lot going on in this division, and there's a lot going on with Volkanovski. And I know the guys in the upper end of this division are wondering, what, what the fuck's going on? Like, when are we going to get a title shot? Now, I honestly think, unless, what I've seen from the UFC regarding the featherweight division is not much love. And I say this because they gave Cater a fight before they gave Emmett, who know if they offered it to Emmett and Emmett turned, turned it down waiting for the title shot. But if they truly believed Emmett lost, or if they truly believed Cater lost over Emmett, 
do you think he would be getting a next title, another fight against a potential title contender in Arnold Allen? I don't think so. Now, the fight for Arnold Allen against Josh Emmett could be set up for an interim, which would be a beautiful thing. But there's two other people in that top part of that division that don't really have a dance partner at that point. So saying all, that, saying all that to say, I don't know if the UFC cares about the featherweight division enough to have an interim title belt. But if you got to think, if Volkanovski's away more than, let's say, a year, six months to a year, or if he even gets injured in this, in his Islam fight, at some point, I think they want to elect uh, Incham title because who, who knows what they can garner off of the fans of a potential contender. Like Yair Rodriguez, is, like his fans, Max Holloway's, obviously we know Max is probably not going to get another shot, anytime, especially anytime soon. We don't think he's going to get a fourth fucking fight with Volkanovski. But Yair has a dope fan base. I don't know what type of fan base Arnold Allen has. But back to Max Holloway. Max Holloway has an awesome fan base. So however they shake that out, um, I'll be honest with you, I don't think Josh Emmett has a chance against Volkanovski. But... Whatever's going to happen in this division um, is definitely interesting, depending on how Volkanovsky shakes out against Islam. So I guess we'll see that early next year. Yeah, I think that's it. That I, all I had for this fight. Let's move on. Moving on. <laughs> all right. This is comfortable for me. Before I had a setup that was not comfortable. It was more so for the shot. And I don't even know if I even liked the shot that much. But yeah, this is definitely more comfortable. Do the show in one shot. All right. We're going to come back to you with fighter cards. We're going to go over a little, some of the upcoming events, and I think we should be done by then. Be right back with you. I think we're back. We're back. Sorry if that five o'clock shadow is kind of kicking in. Yeah. Probably should make noises with my mouth. All right, let's get into this week's fighter cards. Make sure this mic is where it's supposed to be. Let's get into this week's fighter cards. Kind of, I guess, going around this first time, there's a little favoritism in it, just a little bit. Um, I'll say for sure, Kyle Bahio is a, definitely a favorite of mine. Look, I'm already diving in. I'm not even setting it up. Um, I won't 
go over the other ones just yet, but well, shit, if you've seen the Fighter Companion, you already know that Kyle Bahio, Daniel Rodriguez, and Brandon Allen are this this week's current fighter fighter cards. And our special fighter card for this week is Fredia Gibbs. We're going to do a little backstory on Fredia Gibbs. Very interesting, but let's, let's set this up. So, welcome to this week's fighter cards. Basically, we'll be going over various standout fighters from various combat organizations and fight promotions. UFC, PFL, uh, Bellator, hopefully the WFL. We haven't heard anything from the w- WFL lately, and that's... Actually, let's see. While we're sitting here, and I'm sitting on the internet, W. Let's check out what's new about the WFL. And already, I'm not getting any new updates, which is scary. Because they were coming on strong, and they said they would launch in about 2023. And I talked about this before. I talked about this before in one of my other episodes, that... If the WFL was going to hit big, if the WFL would come out, they would probably come out around, or if advertising was needed, if they were going to really push this promotion to come out in 2023, or if any events were happening in 2023, you would start to see commercials. You'll start to see um, promotionals, in a sense. You start to see people or companies partner up with each other. We're not seeing that yet. Um, I've worked in business a long time. I've worked for corporations. I've worked for gaming companies. And I kind of know how the cycles go as far as the fiscal quarters and basically setting up budgets for the next year. Now, there's always meetings. There's always people talking offices about the money that's handled in these businesses. and what the next quarter looks like, what the next year looks like, what the next 10 years can possibly look like with their executives in place and their executives doing what they're basically paid to do, get more business, bring more business in. Now, I don't want to go off the head with um, a lot of this stuff, but I'm kind of afraid, and not that I have any stock in the WFL, but it would be exciting to see what they cannot possibly bring to their arena of MMA. You know, the, the big five, if you want to call them, the big three. We know UFC houses the best, uh, if not one, the best martial artists on the planet, martial artists on the planet. And right now they're top dog, period. So. Most of these fighter cards this week will be about UFC fighters. Again, we'll get into other organizations and fight promotions. But this week, I did want to start off with a special shout-out for Fridia Gibbs. Now, if you don't know who she is, she is hailed as the first black female kickbox 
kickboxing champion. Now, I don't know if that's specifically the ISKA, I believe it is. I may be getting that wrong. We can check now. She was the first IS, correct. She was the first ISKA champion. So, uh, born in Chester, PA, became the first black female kickboxing champion in 93. Uh, she kickboxed from 91 to 97. 16 wins, zero losses, 15 KOs, three world titles. So she had 16 kickboxing matches, KO'd 15 women. KO'd 15 women. Okay. She wrote an autobiography about her life. The book is called Freedia Gibbs, The Freedia Gibbs Story. Meet the most dangerous woman in the world. I'm looking forward to getting the book. Haven't purchased it, purchased it yet. But just hearing about Freedia Gibbs. And um, before I give you this last little tidbit, which is a, it's a juicy part of her story and where she comes from. And it's a big part of L.A. She, it's a big part of L.A. culture, this next part. Um, but before this next part, let me just give you some backstory on how I heard about Freedia Gibbs. So my mom calls me one day, and she knows I'm into MMA, um, specifically UFC. And, I, I mean, I don't think she knows the difference. I don't think she knows if there's anything else out there. Anyway, it's not part of the story. But my mom calls me one day and she says, hey, I, um, I want you to check out this woman called Freedia Gibbs. She's the first black MMA fighter. And I said, the first, <laughs> the first black female MMA fighter. And I said, the first female black MMA fighter. Are you sure? Like, sure enough, she wasn't MMA, but she was the first kickboxing champion I was black and happened to be a woman which is very interesting to me because throughout kind of thinking back through all the outlets of let's say MMA feeds in general as far as news is concerned I've never heard of Freedia Gibbs being a kickboxing champion I've never heard the name Freedia Gibbs until my mother brought it up to me which is kind of, you know, I guess it's, it's par for the course. There's not much love for female combat sports, in a sense, especially back then. Oh, that's my alarm. That's my fucking alarm. I, lo I love. We're not going to get into Rocky and that whole situation. We're not going to. I, I should have been putting out these episodes. Like, that was one of the moments where I was like, okay, I need to get this shit done because you want to talk about some spectacular shit, not to fuck with the fighter cards. Look. Anyways, that's my alarm. Sorry about that. I do apologize. But going back to Fridia Gibbs, our first fighter card for this week. Um, so besides the story of my mom introducing me to Fridia Gibbs, the juiciest part of her story and I'll make sure I put the link in the podcast description um, and even link it on YouTube if you're watching this. She basically gives, she speaks on her encounter with a 
a killer within Los Angeles that we know as the Grim Sleeper. Now, I'm messing up this intro because I really want to help you understand and not to make light of it in, in any comedic fashion. But there was a guy out there snatching black women off the street and disappearing them. And for a while, the cops wouldn't do anything because most of these women would be prostitutes. Um, most of these women would be drug addicts. But the, the most part here, which all of these women had um, in common, they were black or they, they were minorities. And the cops really didn't care. Anyways, this guy, the Grim Sleeper, I'm not going to give any more credit to his name. I did do some research and do the whole, there's a documentary, I believe, on him on Netflix, if it's still up. I'm not going to give much more credit to his name. But they found this guy through his son's DNA, which is crazy. Now, backstory going back, Fridia Gibbs talks about her encounter with the Grim Sleeper on this YouTube clip. And as she goes through the details of how she basically knew it was time to fight for her life, she tells a short snippet, and you know, they, they keep it as clean as possible, but how she basically i don't know i don't know how to state this without making all the men kind of you know kind of squirm a little bit but she grabs the guy's business and basically pulls it you know in two different directions if you get what i'm talking about here right now there's two things down there right there's 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 two mechanics and she speaks about how she basically was trying to rip this guy's dong apart. And she asked for the key. She demanded the keys. Now, if in any situation, we, we, we always know that is the, 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 the safety button for men, the safety button for males. Even in a fight, and even in an MMA fight, you get five minutes. You get five minutes for an accident. He didn't have five minutes. She was probably trying to pull that thing off his body. If you were trying to, if my daughter was in that situation, hey, rip it off. Rip it off. Anyways, getting a little too personal. She escapes from the grim sleeper, and obviously she does, because I don't think we would have heard of Fridia Gibbs. I think this happened when she was younger. Obviously, she wasn't the, um, I don't believe she was the champion at the time. But another scary part that she tells about that story is when she started to revolt from the, from the guy trying to, from the Grim Sleeper, he basically said to her, oh, you wanted them fighting ones. I kind of like that. I love she got away. I mean, I, I love that she was able to tell her story because a lot of those women, they did not. A majority of those women did not. 
get to tell their story. That's going to wrap it up for our first fighter card. Let's go to our next one. Kyle Bahalia. Now, I can't remember exactly what fight I saw Kyle fight first. But something about his style, something about his tattoo, something about he, the, the way he carried himself. I have the thing also, obviously, straight, for Brazilian women, you know, Brazilians in general. But just the skin tone and I don't, it's a style thing. It's kind of like Charles Oliveira. It's a style thing. The dude just, it, it, it makes it entertaining to watch. And Kyle Bahio, for me, is that dude. And once you start seeing him fight, um, the grappling, the transitions, the body lock, his, his, his body locks are aggressive. And I for, again, let's, I have the information here. I'm just, for some reason, I'm not reading it. But let's see. Kyle Bahio had a fight against Armin Petrosian. I hope I'm not murdering that. And he wrestled the hell out of him. But he also caught him with some good shots. His stand-up game is pretty spectacular. Now I don't want to get off base here. I'm, I'm already jumping around too much. Now, between the gra grappling transitions, the body lock, aggressive takedowns as well, this dude, this dude spears people, all the submission attempts, so he keeps guys on their toes, even when they're trying to roll out. He's always keeping that on their, their mind that you're down here for a reason. And if you try to get up, it's going to cost you. And we already talked about the striking IQ. I, I, I honestly think, I think Kyle Wahio is using his rounds in the UFC. Mind you, he is on a win streak. An incredible win streak. Let's see how many... And I found out another tidbit about Kyle Bahio as well. But Kyle Bahio is obviously undefeated in the UFC. He has only one loss in his record. He's currently 13-1. and one. Now, I honestly think his striking is beautiful. I, I think he, if he wanted to stay on his feet, I think his striking would actually take him a long way. But I also think that Kyle Bahio Kyle goes into wrestle. I think he honestly goes into wrestle. I think his thing is, I'm going to put as much time into this as I can. And that's what happened. Now, moving on, getting a call for your, it's my homeboy. I'm going to have to call him back. But yeah, Kyle, that's, that, that's the reason I picked Kyle Bahio. Now, his fight with... Um, his fight with Mahmoud Muradov. I, I, I don't know if he thought... I don't know how he thought that was going to go. Obviously, they went to the ground and Muradov was... He, he kept transitioning as well. And 
I don't know. I kind of felt like Kyle Bahia was going to lose that match at some at some points. Um, obviously, he came through. Obviously, he's still on his win streak. But that was Kyle Bahia's biggest test, for sure. Now, whoever he gets next, um, as far as ranking is concerned, he is currently still not ranked. He has four KOs, three subs. Obviously, he's in the middleweight division. Like, this is, this is more so me confirming why this dude sticks out to me. A lot of those dudes in that division, I'm, I'm not talking about the upper tier of the division, obviously, but coming up that ladder, a lot of those dudes aren't wrestlers in that middleweight division. They're strikers. So it's going to be really good to see. And I'm not saying that these guys can't wrestle. Of course they can. Of course they can. They can defend themselves. Chris Curtis, for example, against a submission specialist. Moving on. But yeah, shout out to Kyle Bahio. Now again, we're going to talk about favorites. And I don't know, I don't know if it's an L.A. thing. It may be an L.A. thing, but Daniel Rodriguez. First time I saw Daniel Rodriguez, maybe it's the tattoos. Maybe it's the tattoos. First time I saw Daniel Rodriguez, I said, who is this dude? Then I seen him beat this out of Mike Perry. I said, yo, is this dude, like, really that good? Or is Mike Perry just, like, not really with it? No, Mike Perry's nice. Daniel Rodriguez is just nicer. Let's check this out. Now, he lost to Dolby, which was a close fight. I think Dolby's style was a little too karate for him. It was, um, he kept him at distance. And I don't, obviously, Kyle Bahio couldn't get past that. But it was a good fight. He is on a one, two, three. He's on a five-fight win streak, four-fight win streak. He's on a four-fight win streak. Last two fights have gone to decision. Now, the things that stick out to me about Kyle Bahio is <laughs> Danny Rodriguez. We're on to Danny Rodriguez. The things that stick out to me about Danny Rodriguez is he's a disruptor. He has a fight coming up this weekend, or if you're listening to this on the day, he has a fight coming up Saturday. So, which is the fifth? He's a disruptor, and against Neil Magny, he would have he will he would have to be a very aggressive disruptor because Neil Magny is going to have to try to take him down at least once or twice. Immediately. And I'm not talking about, like, obviously there's going to be takedowns involved on Neil Magny's side. But I think if Daniel Rodriguez starts to piece up Magny, he's going to try to take him down immediately. That's not even part of the fighter card. Let's get back to it. But he's a disruptor. Danny Rodriguez has to disrupt. And that's when he does his best work. He's a counter striker on the move. 
He lands some nice shots once. He gets the timing going. He evades, and he strikes while he's evading. And he clips. You can, if man, I've watched a lot of tape, and if you watch the replays, and you can't really see it in certain angles unless you're watching the guy's head snap back, or you're listening to the commentators. Honestly, I advise you not to either turn down the volume or listen on Spanish because you totally, unless you speak <laughs> unless you speak Spanish, um, you totally zone out. And you can focus on the fight. Now, Daniel Rodriguez sets up a lot of his strikes, a lot of his sequences with leg kicks. He kind of he kind of gets you. He kind of chops at you a little to get you to move, see your reactions, get that timing. And he's very good at it as well. He had a fight with Kevin Lee, and if you haven't seen seen Kevin Lee versus Danny Rodriguez, I'd advise you watch it. There's a lot of ring chatter in that fight. There's a lot of back and forth, and once Kevin Lee gets a chance to take Danny Rodriguez down, he obviously the camera, the mic isn't that low. There's a mic that's right above the ring, and obviously, I believe the referee has a mic on him. And some of the cameras as well, but there's they're they're in a spot in the ring where mics are probably the furthest, and you can kind of see their lips moving. You can kind of see Danny Rodriguez saying something back, but there was a lot of ring chatter going on in that fight, and I think it started to get a little personal. And I understand why it got personal. It's the same reason Kevin Lee tried to take Danny Rodriguez down. It's because Danny Rodriguez was piecing up his face. And if you want to talk about damage, Danny Rodriguez puts on damage. He's like a, I, I wouldn't dare say like a hybrid Diaz, but if Danny Rodriguez can't be taken down, and I'm not saying in a sense from a, a true, true wrestler that goes in, and like Magni could be taken down. Michael Chiesa, I'm not going to say ran through Magni, but in a sense, he made easy work of him. So that means Magny's game is obviously not as high as Michael Chiesa's, but is in somewhat a range where I think we're going to see something different from Danny Rodriguez. If the clinch gets a little too heavy for Danny Rodriguez, we may see some more knees and elbows. Danny Rodriguez is very dynamic in his game. We just don't see a lot of it. We, 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 he, he, he has a strict fundamental direction, drive that he focuses on, and he's very, very good at it. He has a glancing jab, a glancing hook. Like, I'm going to tell you about the Parsons in a second, the Parsons fight, which is an incredible finishing sequence, but we'll get to that in a second. Now, striking-wise, I said before, he has a glancing hook, with a, a straight left that comes down the pipe, and it, it's, it does work. Now, this is not necessarily knockout power, but it, it, there are shots that affect your ability to want to take any more. <laughs> so, setting this up, and if you haven't seen this fight again, um, maybe I'll start sequencing this show more to where I can add clips or 
add links to clips that you guys can click and go straight to, which would, I guess, make it a little bit more interactive. But let me set up this finishing sequence, finishing up or concluding for the D-Rod, Danny Rodriguez fighter card. One of the best finishing sequences that I've seen in a fight is when Danny Rodriguez fights, um, I can't remember his first name, but it's Parsons, actually, again, my re ability to read what's in front of me. <clears throat> so, is it Preston Parsons? Preston Parsons, last fall in April, 2022. So he lost to Danny Rodriguez in July of 2021. Came back in April of 2022. Got a unanimous, unanimous decision over Evan Elder. Before that, he was on a win streak on... Combat Night, Combat Night Pro. So the dudes know, as people say, tomato can. But going back to the whole, I'm already messing up the sequence. But this fit, finishing seat, it's only a one, it's a one round fight. And at about 124 of that round, you can hear Daniel Rodriguez's coach say, handle it. Because at that point, and I'm pretty sure D-Rod had noticed this as well, Parsons' posture was so broken from the damaging strikes that D-Rod put on him. I mean, if you see the muscle difference between Parson, Parsons and D-Rod, it's significant. D-Rod has a leaner body that it, it basically built for cardio in a sense. Like, obviously, in this Magni fight, we're going to see if that cardio holds up if this fight goes five rounds. But the damage he put on Parsons through that sequence of the first round leading up to 124 of that first round, he had broken him. And when you hear the coach say, handle it, he handled it. And he sweeps the leg. He comes around with a right cross, straight, left, and I think Parsons, uh, his mother or a loved one was in the crowd because you hear, you hear somebody kind of yell, and it's kind of it's heart-wrenching. But D-Rod put some hands on that dude. Beautiful performance. One of the best finishing sequences I've seen. One of the best for sure. Moving on. Let's get into Brandon Allen. Brandon All In Allen. Now, again, I watch so many fights and then I go back and do research and then I do research on my research. It's, I don't know when the first time I saw Brandon Allen fight, but. Again, it was something very visceral. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, I like I I like watching this guy fight. This is action fighting. He's not afraid to take a punch. He he can definitely take some shots sometimes. 
but he's not afraid to take a punch to give one, to, to set up that perfect shot. He actually believes in his hands, and, and th I think that's one of the things that draws me to fighters. When they actually believe in their hands and they're, now you don't have to go out there and get knocked out, because I'm still a fan of Izzy, but Izzy knows how to get dirty. Now, Brandon Allen, has been in the UFC a while, debuted Contender Series 2019, two losses since he's been in the UFC, uh, looks like there's about three, three decisions, and I mean, he has, he has some, the, the thing about this is, it's okay, the thing about it is this. And I think this is what would made me gravitate more towards Brandon Allen. Once actually looking into his career and who the UFC started spitting at him at a, as soon as he walked in the door. Let's just look at it real quick. Okay. His first, his first fight in the UFC. Kevin Holland submits him. Tom Breeze. I'll be honest. I don't know who Tom Breeze is. Probably seen his fight before. I don't know. TKO's him. I want to look and see if Tom, uh, Tom Breeze has even fought since then, but we're not going to waste our time. Kyle Dawkins, unanimous decision. Lost to Sean Strickland. Carl Roberson. Beat. Submission. Punahele Serrano. Decision. Chris Curtis, obviously a training mate with Sean Strickland. Beat Brandon Allen. Sam, Al Sam Alvey, submission. Jacob Malkoon, decision. And Jodko. Christ Christoph Jodko for his last one. Now, if you're not familiar with MMA, I just read off a whole bunch of names to you, and you're just like, okay, who are these fucking people? I apologize. <laughs> For the people that know MMA, know that these people are upper echelon. I'm not going to shit on Sam Alvey. I, I, hey, he, he may beat my ass. Currently in this current form, in this current body, he may get the best of me. So, but for the people that aren't initiated, these are some killers. These are killers in the middleweight division. Obviously, he lost twice trying to climb up the ranks. To dogs. Strickland, Chris Curtis, they're dogs in the middleweight division. Now, one of the reasons why I liked Brennan Allen is, let's see, is actually getting to some of my favorite things about Brennan Allen. He has a submission game that's pretty underrated. That's one. Now, one, two, three, four, five. So, my God. Five to two. So he's been submitted twice. So his ground, his ground game is on point. But his stand-up game is nice, as I talked about before. I can tell he's a little bit more comfortable on the ground. He is willing to go to the ground rather quickly in, in most cases where he's not where the shots don't feel that comfortable. 
Now, I really can't remember if there was a takedown in the Chris Curtis fight or if there was an attempted takedown. Again, I have the information in front of me. I can just read it. I can just read the information in front of me. Let's see. No, this is not UFC. This is ESPN. But let's go. So, yeah. I don't know if there's any takedowns in that fight. I can't find it at the moment. I don't feel like bringing up too many windows. But you get what I'm talking about. Brandon Allen can be a huge problem for that division. I think there's some slips and stumbles. I, I think he does like taking too much damage at times. And I don't know what's next for him in that division. Now, he did just come off a win off Jodko. I don't know how that goes. Because you, you still got Strickland at the upper echelon of that division. You still got Curtis at the basically hovering around that topper portion. And if he's going to climb, you're going to, he's going to, he's going to be facing some guys that are, are, are in, in my opinion, much more dangerous than Strickland and Chris Curtis. Do I see him making it? I do. He's a young kid. If he can put some things together, if he can focus on his game a little bit more, maybe some lateral movement. Again, his submission game is nice. If at some point he can stream together a couple wins. Title contention, do I see it? Possibly in the next year or two. Against, again, this guy's young. And he has a lot of killers on his record. So, it will be nice to see what he transi transitions to. Again, he's nice in jiu-jitsu. He comes out of Sanford MMA. And the crazy thing about Sanford MMA, they've, they've got, they've got I, I think it's currently called Kill Cliff, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm correct. And they've got killers. I believe Shafkat Rahmanov. I believe at one point Usman trained out, uh, Kamara Usman trained out of there. Rafael Faziev. Li Jang Liang. My favorite, Michael Johnson. I bring him up. <coughs> I bring him up because he has probably one of the worst records in the UFC currently. <coughs> And he's, he's still there. I think it's because he, the, some of the people he's put out, and I'm talking about Michael Johnson. Yes, I'm kind of all over the place. But this is, he's coming out of a house with a bunch of killers in it. That's it. Sanford MMA, Kill Cliff, there's a bunch of killers in it. So Brandon Allen has the competition in front of him. He, in front of him he has the future in front of him a lot of those guys in with the, under that same house under that same umbrella they are the future if not current champions so shout out to brandon allen for his submission game for his striking game for his ability to absorb damage 
Not not too much. That Chris Curtis fight is very, very brutal. It's very brutal. It kind of reminds me again, uh, it reminds me of the Delice versus Phil Halls, but if you haven't seen Chris Curtis versus Brendan Allen, I advise you check it out. Now, this is going to be the last part. This is our upcoming. This is our upcoming. This is going to be um, for our main event. Now, looking at this next card, it's UFC. Let's check it out. Let's see. Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Limoche. I fucking love Amanda Limoche. Um, let's get into my notes. Got a lot of notes. Oh, got a lot of notes. Got a lot of thoughts. A lot of shit rattling on in my head. Mad tired. All right. Again, we're going to go from bottom up. I, this card is packed with a lot of names that I, to be honest with you, I, I probably see them fight. They're just not currently on my radar like that. But the fighters that I have picked, the fights that I have picked, probably should be on everybody's radar. And sleeper cards like this, they usually come out to be bangers. They usually come out to be filled with highlight reels. They usually come out to be... Um, very entertaining and unforgettable fight nights. So I'm not taking anything away from this fight night. Again, this is fight night for Rodriguez versus Lemos. So the first fight that I wanted to talk about on that card, I believe it's a main event as well. Grant Dawson versus Marco Madsen. This should be a great, this may be a wrestling match, but this may, may not be a wrestling match. If Matt Dawson, or excuse me, if Mark O'Madson does not want to go to the ground, I think I just made up and yeah, I just mashed the names together. I don't think this is going to go to the ground. Now, Grand Dawson is much younger and he may have the gas tank to really push this this three rounds to the max but i i don't really see him taking down marco madsen easily i don't see him keeping him there if anything now he may if he can submit him that's a possibility but other than that and i don't want to get i don't want to hop to the end too quickly but i think this is going to be a stand-up battle i think we may see some transitions I think we, we may get a, uh, what is it, a Gamrot versus uh, Sarukian type fight if it does go to the grappling. But I think they kind of cancel each other out. And if it does come down to who has the better wrestling, for me, I think it's going to be Marco Madsen. Mind you, strength, endurance, all that stuff matters. If Grant can push this three rounds, at, if he could push the pace, Let's see what he can draw out of Marco Madsen. So let's see. Now, both of these guys are on a, on a winning streak. Madsen is undefeated at 12-0. Pro. 
That's his pro career. Now, as I said before, both are ground specialists. But if anyone was going to shoot first, I honestly think it would be Dawson. I think Grant and Dawson would try to test Marco Madsen to see, hey, if I don't want to stand on my feet anymore, you know, what, what type of victories am I, am I getting here? How, how, do, how comfortable do I feel with you on the ground? Now, if Marco Madsen stuffs those early takedowns, as I said before, you may see this push to being, you know, being a stand-up battle. Will we see clinches? Again, I don't, it's hard to tell where these, where their head is at as far as if they're just coming in the wind, which I think at this point, well, especially when, as Marco Madsen's concerned, I think he's coming to trying to keep his, keep his O. And if that's looming large, I, I doubt it's probably taking effect on him now. What happens after Grant Dawson? And I'm not looking, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure Marco Madsen's not looking past Grant Dawson. I'm not. But I'm saying at some point with these win streaks kind of adding up, what does Marco Madsen want next? So let's check out where he's, let's check out that division in, in a closer look. Obviously, it's the lightweight division, which is crowded. And I don't mean crowded in a bad sense. I mean crowded in a, there are killers on this list. Wrestling as well. Like it, if Marco Madsen wrestled Sarukian or Gam Gamrot, um, uh, Kutalatze, I, I can't remember his name, but these dudes are elite on the ground. Obviously, we know who currently sits at the top of that division. Do we see Marco Madsen or Grant Dawson beating the Islam? If I told, if I asked myself that question, damn, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Marco Madsen may give him a run for his money. Maybe I, you have the best bet with Grant Dawson. I, I don't know. But that's a packed division. Now. Marco Madsen's last couple of wins, um, and this is the other thing that's kind of why I'm leaning towards Grant on this one. Marco Madsen has three decisions on his last three fights. His first fight in the UFC, he TKO'd Danilo Bellardo. Bellardo. Um, so this guy's been in a lot of decision fights, and one of the decision fights was a split. For Grant Dawson, let's go check out Grant. It's a little different. Grant Dawson, I believe, has a, a couple submissions on his record, and he likes to finish. He likes to finish fights. So let's see. He has twelve subs. We might see Marco Madsen get subbed. Last fight against Jared, Jared Gordon. Grant Dawson, sub. Derek Miner, sub. 
I'm not going to go through these names again because some of these people are like, who the fuck, who the fuck are these people? Anyways, he's elite on the ground. An elite submission specialist. Now, one of the things I'm, I want to know about is what weight will this next fight be at? Because Grant Dawson is a featherweight. And Marco Madsen is lightweight. And I'm almost certain that this next fight is going to happen at lightweight because Jared Gordon is a lightweight. Jared Gordon fights at featherweight. What in the world is going on? And out of Sanford. So, let's see. Let's see. All right. So, okay. It's another one. Scratch that. Moving on to our next point. <laughs> That's a mute point. Moving on to our next point. Now, as I said before, if Dawson had to strike for three rounds, do we see it going to the ground? And if I see Dawson having to strike for three rounds, I see Marco Madsen winning the decision. That's how I, I kind of see it playing out. Now, Dawson has a record for finishing tights, finishing fights when the control time is paramount. And it seems like he's willing to stay on the ground for a while until he can get that submission. He'll work it until he can get that submission. I think the fight against Jared Gordon came at like the end of that round. The, the finish in that fight against Jared, Jared Gordon came at the end of that round. Came at the end of the second or third round. So let's see. Grant Dawson. Now, also, if Grant Dawson isn't able to control Marco Madsen, and we start to see more of the striking game, does, Gr does Grant Dawson have the kickboxing, or does Grant Dawson have the striking in order to really disrupt Marco Madsen? Because Marco Madsen likes to stay on the move especially when there's no takedowns involved. And if he's not worried about the takedown, Marco Madsen likes to stay on the move. We may see the live odds of this fight change drastically because I believe Grant Dawson is currently the favorite once that second round starts. Now, I wanted to... All right. Now let's go up to one of my favorite fights. Sorry, I'm a little, I'm getting there. We're getting there. Been a long one. 
Now, one of my favorite fights, the one I'm looking forward to, trying to stay on point this time, Neil Magny versus Danny Rodriguez. This, to me, is a, is a very exciting fight. For se- I mean, for Walter Waite reasons. I do like the action that's happening in the Walter Waite division, all through that division. Because there's a lot of big question marks. A lot of 170-pound question marks. Now, fighting at a distance isn't Neil Magny's game plan. It's not. Distance management, clinch fighting, takedowns, that's where it's more of Magny kind of doing, switching it up and doing Magny stuff. Let's see. Six of Magny's last seven fights have gone to decision. That's another thing. Magny has a gas tank on, on that man. Being in the welterweight division, and I think he's 6'3", almost 6'4", he might be a cardio machine. So he might not have the strength to put your lights out, but I don't think you want to take those, those stinging shots for, yeah, that's... But against Rodriguez, that's the, that's the whole other part of this. Against Rodriguez is going to be the differentiating factor. But let's finish on Magny for a second. Best game plan, guess, best game plan for Magny is to tire D-Rod out. Now, exciting part about this fight is it's not five rounds, which we know D-Rod can go three rounds, and he has the bo- body style for it. He definitely has the body style for it. So 26 fights for Magny, only seven KOs. I don't see him finishing D-Rod within three rounds. I just don't see it happening. Now, I said it before, there is no favoritism overall. Like, I want to see a good fight. I want to see a good match. I think, I think Neil Magny is someone who can put that pace on Danny Rodriguez. Um... But I see Danny Rodriguez forcing Neil Magny to stand, for sure. D-Rod has the game for it. Um, maybe there's some unknowns about Danny Rodriguez's game that we really haven't tapped into, but let's look at his submissions real quick. Daniel... Let's see. Let's look at his submission record. So he has four subs, eight KOs, currently sitting at 17 and two as far as his professional MMA career is concerned. So he's pretty proficient on the ground. His fight against Kevin Lee, talking about D-Rod, he was able to, when Kevin Lee wasn't just holding him, he was able to transition well. And after a while, Kevin Lee couldn't take him down anymore. So the fact that you can take D-Rod down, the question is how many times can you take him down without having to stand? Um, with, again, talked about it, AKO, 17 fights. 
The only glaring disadvantage I see with D-Rod is the height and the reach of Neil Magny, which is, again, 6'3". Neil Magny is 6'3", 80-inch uh, reach. Neil Magny is 6... Now, this is... It's, it's up for debate. 6'2", 6'3". 74-inch reach for Danny Rodriguez, 80-inch reach for Neil Magny. Now, if D-Rod does pull off a win here, it's a great, I think this does a lot for his name and it does a lot for his career, obviously. No Magny, and I think that's what we wanted to see for the Grant Dawson thing, just see if he, what weight class he was in and if he was ranked. But I don't, let's see, No Magny ranking. And I don't believe Neil Magny is currently ranked. Well, it has him at number 16, so I don't know if that's worldwide. And if so, he probably should be ranked within the UFC. Anyways, but that's how I see that fight going. Uh, D-Rod may have some issues with the reach. But if I was to pick a winner, if I was to slap some money down on this fight, excuse me, sorry about that. If I was to slap some money down on this fight, I would give it to, I would give it to D-Rod. I, I don't, if Neil Magny can't get the takedowns, I think it's forced to be a stand-up fight. And if Neil Magny can clinch, as I said before, we may see some dynamic striking come out of uh, Rodriguez that we haven't seen before. Now let's move on to our main event. Mon Marina Rodriguez against Amanda Lemoche. Now I love Amanda because she had a fight with... She had a fight with Jessica Andrade, and she was putting some bombs on Jessica Andrade until <laughs> Andrade didn't want anymore. She, she, obviously, Jessica Andrade won that fight. But not to get off base, it, I have a, a small crush on Lemos. It's just something about her style. Again, I don't know if it's the Brazilian thing. I don't know if it's... If it's the hair, it's got like this silvery hair. Anyways, to get into the Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Limos. Marina Rodriguez is Rodriguez is a distance fighter. Limos is a power puncher. Limos always has a Davison Figueroa type fighting stance or fighting style, and she's always looking for the KO. Now, if it's Leg kicks, if it's punches, by the way, her, her up the front leg kick is devastating. And she landed it twice on Angela Hill. If you haven't seen Amanda Lemos versus Amanda Hill, if you, you just want to see a good striking, a good back and forth striking battle, that's a dope fight to watch. But she lands two head kicks on Angela Hill. Angela Hill. One almost puts Angela Hill out. 
so that as far as her striking is concerned she's very technical but she her base is lethal now marina is good at setting up shots she's good at drawing her opponent in and kind of landing a hook kind of gla- uh landing a jab as they're backing away she's she's very good at that um if she can keep this fight at range, I think the championship rounds plays a little bit mo- more for Marina because Lemos doesn't have too many decision fights. Now, let's, let's actually get into that for a second because it was kind of glaring to me. And this is where I believe Marina Rodriguez may win this fight. Lemos only has two three-round fights go to the distance. Marina had eight fights go to decision. Two five-round fights, six three-round fights. She is a cardio machine. So I kind of do see the fight going the distance. I see Marina Rodriguez being able to kind of keep distance. We may see a scramble here and there. Can Amanda Lemos submit Rodriguez? I can see that happening. Is Rodriguez good enough on the ground to stop that from happening? I can see that happening. I can see some attempts going up there, but I can also see Amanda Lemos tiring out. These are five rounds, and if she doesn't pace herself, again, Davidson Figueredo paces himself. By the end of that third round, Davison Figueredo was kind of tired. She has that same type of style. Now, as I keep saying this, I said before, I see this fight going the distance. If Amanda can't finish it, and if it goes the distance, I believe Marina Rodriguez is going to win this fight. Or at least win by decision. Do I see TKO? It's possible, but I don't think so. Not against Limos. Now, kind of wrapping up this episode. Thank you for sticking with me. If you've lasted this long, thank you. Thank you. Uh, doing these kind of feels like a deposition sometimes. When you're not in the right mind state, you, gotta, you definitely got to be in the right mind state. But I love doing this. I fucking love MMA. I love it. So, kind of wrapping up, next week, um, obviously we have the Izzy versus Pajeda coming up, which is, uh, I, don't, I, don't even, I don't even know what to say, honestly. I'm hyped for it. I don't know if I'll even be available to watch it real time, but uh, I can't wait. Biggest test for Izzy. Biggest mind test for Izzy. By far. With all the amassed fights, the, the dozens of dozens, like I, I think he's cracked 100 fights. This for sure has to be the pinnacle of all of it. I mean, I guess every fight is at this point, right? His last fight was the pinnacle of his career. His fight before that was the pinnacle of his career. So these fights are going to be more legacy building now as he's, I don't know, I wouldn't say he's chase, chasing Anderson Silva's record. Um, but 
as he's closing in on Anderson Silva's record. These are some really, really legacy fights that as he comes through, man, like you, there's no denying, especially the star power behind Bobby Knuckles. As far as just the MMA is concerned, the, how dope he is, how lethal the Grim Reaper is. Um, and Izzy is just dancing at the top of that division. It'd be lovely to see what Alex Beheta can do. Now, mind you, I've been waiting for this fight for about three, four years. Ever since I really found out who Izzy was when I got to see his fights, um, he hasn't been in the UFC, but I think three or four years. So, yeah, man. Ah, shit. I'd like to thank the UFC for bringing some of these fighters to my to light. I guess um, without their platform, were there... <laughs> Were, would they real? Would there really be MMA news without UFC? Would there really be MMA news? Would there be another organization in place that's just gobbling up all the media? I don't know. I like Bellator, but some of those cards are kind of harsh to watch. I'm just being honest. Some of the production value in some of these cards, and I'm not sitting here bashing on other organizations, but I think the UFC. Not Dick Riding. I'm just thinking the UFC. Um, as far as next week concerns, other possible topics, and I'm not one to say what we will be talking about or say that we're going to talk about a certain thing, but I will say, because it's coming up more in the news and I'm waiting for an announcement any day, the return of John Jones. Once they can confirm when John Jones is fighting, I think that'd be an excellent day. I think it'd be the first time I've ever bought a purchase. I, First time I've ever purchased a pay-per-view for John Jones. I know that's saying a lot, but I guess at this point, I, other people were paying for it, um, so that doesn't sound as harsh. <laughs> now, if you're wondering why I didn't talk about Anderson Silva versus Jake Paul this week, I don't. Not to be that dude, I don't care. I don't. I don't care. I mean, I can give an opinion, but... I love Anderson Silva. I can't really say anything about Jake Paul. It's a good spectacle. But as far as, like, my time, I probably would have watched it. I just, I just had better shit to do. Anyways, this is going to wrap it up for this week. As we get this process more refined, um, as we get better, we can come at you faster. <laughs> And that's what I'm hoping for. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for being and lasting this long. I don't know. I, I told myself I was going to only do an hour. So obviously I need to chop up some of the show a little bit more um, as far as segments go. But thank you for sticking with me if you've lasted this long. We have so much more coming. And see you next week. See you next week. Episode 5, I'm kind of excited. Eh. Episode 5, let's go. Thank you for joining. Peace. Should I say some corny shit like the commando out? Or if, if, let me see. If it's gonna get done, how does it get done? Is that inspirational?